Hey guys, if you can think about how you found this podcast, maybe it's on Instagram or TikTok, maybe someone shared it with you. I don't run ads for the show or have sponsorships, so the only way this grows is through word of mouth. If this was valuable for you in any way, my only ask is if you could share this with someone who you think would help their investing journey or business. Thanks a lot, and let's get to the episode. Welcome back to STR Like the Best. I'm your host, Michael Chang. It's my great pleasure to welcome my friend, Kyle James, to the show. Kyle, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. It's good to see you, Michael. Now, Kyle and I, we first met through a face. You messaged me through Facebook, I remember. And then we had a conversation that was over a year ago now, I think. Absolutely, yeah. At the time, I was looking for somebody who could help with a little bit of our revenue management. And Michael is quite good at that. So we had a few different conversations and definitely got to a good place by the end of it all. Yeah, no. And now a year later, both our businesses evolved. So it's great to have you on to the show. I want to really talk about today your journey through STRs. I think you have a fascinating way that you've been able to build your business. And I think the audience would benefit to, to hear your arc on how you've been able to build a business now that, that does 50 plus units and you're super hyper localized in your market and how that's helped you build your business and make it profitable for your owners to work with you. I'm really excited to to share with the audience today. But why don't we start off by, do you mind just introducing yourself and giving the audience a bit of your background? Absolutely. So my name is Kyle James. I'm the owner and CEO of Atomic Stays. We're a vacation rental management company. At first I was doing co-hosting for a while and now we're full-fledged property management, but we're based out of Denver, Colorado, and we're fully focused in the Denver metro market as well as the Winter Park and Grandview Market, just an hour up the road. Right, perfect. So you're hyper-localized in, in two specific markets. And and I want to dig in on like how that's helped you grow your business. But before we start, I was like asking, especially existing operators, what is a short-term, what is a STR story that you have that comes, comes to mind right now? What's a guest story that's most memorable for you? Oh, God. There's a lot of good ones and a lot of bad ones, to be honest. The ones that are the most memorable are obviously the bad ones, but <laughs> what happened and what happened and how'd you fix it? Yeah, this was actually before I was even, you know, doing anything with my business. I just had my own short-term rental at the time and we let a family reunion happen. So I think it was about 20 people. The house sleeps 16. They said that only five or six would be sleeping there. Well, one cousin didn't want the other cousin in the house. So he kicked him out and locked the door and the other cousin kicked that door right through the hinges. So <laughs> he threw it through. And then I got a call from the uncle telling me what happened because the police showed up and they knew they couldn't get out of it then. Luckily, the uncle paid for it that night. Within two days, we had the door fixed. It didn't even put a dent in our reservations. We didn't have someone the next day. So nothing affected our business, but it was a tumultuous two days. It's, I've asked this question to a lot of people and it's always, it's always like the first story. Everyone always remembers like their first memorable guest experience. And I think a lot of people actually get the people that end, end up not pursuing the business it, that kind of scars them. And they're like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. How do you think that's kind of strengthened your approach as you've taken that experience and, and now grown to 50 plus units? Well, if I'm being honest with you at the time that happened, I was so dead set on getting out of my W2 and making this work that I did not care. I was like, whatever happens, we're going to ride this till the end and we're going to get after it. So I don't know if it strengthened me. I think that we just, it just wasn't an option for it to matter. All right. You're like Cortez and, and burn the boats and we're, we're here now. Okay. Yeah, All exactly. right. So tell us how, actually, before we start and before we hop down, we're, we're talking about Colorado football and mm -hmm. you know, you're like writing about it. How is the Deion Sanders phenomenon? 
I was lucky enough to be at the game two weeks ago and I went to school at CU. So when I was there, it was like we'd show up in the second quarter and leave midway through the third. Just if we just sat down, cheered for a little bit, it was great. Now you can barely get in the stadium. It's packed wall to wall. The energy is incredible. Everybody's watching the game. I was in Chicago for the TCU game in a, in a sports bar and the entire place was packed with CU fans for whatever reason. Wow. It's really, it's uplifted everyone's spirits and like the whole state. I feel That's awesome to hear, man. That's in his, like, I think to the point of like personal brand and building, he has a personal brand that's been portable through his journey and now bringing it to top, uh, you know, big six league, big six conference, Pac-12 or Pac-12 eight, whatever it is now, since all the teams have left. It's just really interesting. And I think we want to hit on that too, and how you've built the brand in your market and how that's helped you. But you have, you had a W2 job and now you've built this business. I think a lot of people are interested in that journey. Can you just talk about how you got started? Absolutely. So I was about two and a half years ago, I was in a sales job doing recruiting for a technical staffing company. And I think it was one of the greatest times I ever had. As far as my learning, we were making a hundred calls a day. We were, it was a true sales organization, but I absolutely hated it. I knew that was no way for me to live. I knew that I just wanted to have a lot more freedom. When COVID hit, I was laying on my couch, watching a few different people on YouTube. I think I was watching Rob Bilt at the time, talking about his journey. And I figured, what is this that they're all talking about? I didn't even know anything about real estate at the time. I didn't understand how to even underwrite a long-term property, nonetheless, a short-term property. And I started to find people who did. One of my friend's best, one of my best friend's dads had been an investor for a long time. And he took me under his wing and showed me how to underwrite long-term properties. For about a half a year, I looked for a long-term rental and couldn't find anything that beat the 1%, 2% rule here in Denver. And so as I started to learn about short-term rentals, I said, let's give this a shot. So I actually took a job working for another management company at about, I think, $14 an hour. And I, at the time, I'm making pretty good money, not amazing in my W-2 job, but I was, I was ready to, to move on. So I took this other job. I'm working both the same time and I'm learning a lot. I would have paid well, them no, to no. let me work there. So you worked, you had, the, you had the staffing job and the other, so you were doing two jobs at the same time. That's right. Yeah. Oh, wow, I needed, okay. I, I really wanted to learn before I jumped, I still had bills to pay and things to, to cover. So before I took the leap, I at least wanted to get the knowledge. I didn't really need to surpass my income, but I needed to know what I was going to do, how to position it, find smart people. So I worked both jobs for a while. And then when I got enough saved up, I learned just enough from this guy to Okay. to try and figure out how to make my first STR investment. And so I took at about $110,000 in the bank and I took about 105 of it and bought this property and furnished it. And so luckily, where was the property? Where was the property? Yes, the property's in Westminster, Colorado, bought it for 525,000 with three and a quarter interest rate. So it was really good at the time. And first year did $136,000 gross with about 67 of that being cash flow and I think that's about right what I was making in my W-2 job. And I thought I was a genius. So I was like, let's see how we can do this more. Let's, let me pause uh, you for a moment. So first off, why Westminster, right? Like you're obviously in Denver. There's other things around Denver. There's regulations in Denver as well. But wh wh why that specific market? Why that specific house? To go all in, right? You had 110, you put 100, 105 in. That's a big bet. So I'll be honest with you. I'm 26 years old, no kids, no wife. I have rent, but I didn't feel if I failed that it would be that big of a deal. I felt like I was resilient and young enough to figure it out still. So that's a big part of it for sure. But I chose Westminster 
It's actually, I wouldn't say that I'd, it'd be my favorite market in Colorado now. It's unregulated. There's a lot of tough regulations in downtown Denver and some of the tertiary markets. In my opinion, at the time, I was like, unregulated sounds great. Now I prefer well-regulated, but good regulations. But that's a big reason I chose it at the time. The property itself had a few things going on that deterred long-term investors. The yard was currently holding three RVs in completely mud. There was no garage, just a carport. It was right off the highway. Some of these things that long-term investors didn't want, I loved, right? I'd love to be right off the highway. I'd love to have no garage and not have to pay for it. I'd love a huge space that I can landscape. And we ended up turning into a volleyball court because oh, wow. sand is really easy to landscape with. And so that's a big reason why I chose this property. Also, Westminster is relatively a lower purchase price than the surrounding markets. So that home in Arvada would have been around 700,000. So I got it for 525 and still was only nine minutes from downtown Denver. Oh. It's a lot of those reasons. It also just been recently flipped and was about 2,800 square feet. So it hit a lot of my boxes. So I know I can make something that's better than the surrounding homes in that area from a product standpoint. So it's really interesting, right? There's two points I want to draw out from there. One is some things that don't work for long-term rentals where someone doesn't really want to live there actually can be really good for short-term rentals. So that's something that as folks are out there looking for properties, right? There, that's the opportunity where things may, certain features like right being off the highway, for example, you may not want to live there, but for STR, it's perfect. It's in and out, you get easy egress in and out. And secondly, like just being able to see what you can do with a property, the volleyball court, that sounds really, really cool. And like you had a vision on how you were going to take this property, take the experience that you had, the sales job. Okay, okay, I know what I can do with this. Three and a half percent, we may not get back there ever. <laughs> Kudos to you for, for locking in such a great rate. And tell me, we talked about this before, but tell me, like, how did this property get you in? How did it help your personal branding? Or yeah, you, 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 because you were able to do so well in this. Absolutely. So I would, first of all, I'd like to agree. I think that one of the biggest things that made this a success is that as soon as I walked in, I could see what I would do with the property. I think that's so big. If you don't love the, your short-term rental and you don't have a vision for how you can make it a special space, it's going to be really hard to create something that translates to your guests. But I was lucky enough. After this, I did two arbitrages. I built a little business up and the brokerage that I had bought through Good Neighbor Realty here in Colorado, who we work with a lot. They're an awesome short-term rental brokerage. They asked me if I would host an event for some of their clients, talk through the numbers, talk through the property, some of the things we're talking about right now. And when I spoke about the revenues we're doing in that area, a typical home that size in Westminster does about eighty-five dollars to $90,000 gross. That extra $46,000 is the far majority of your profit. And so a lot of the people that were at that meeting wanted to know how the hell we were making that happen. And so in big part, they started asking me if I'd be willing to help with theirs. And I had no interest at the time to be a co-host or to be a property manager. I just knew that I needed to meet people in the space and that I had done something here that was a little better than most. So I was willing to help. And I started going to anyone in everyone's house who would ask me to. I think I went to 20 different people's homes, talked to them about design, talked to them about pricing, talked to them about operations with no expectation of anything. I just wanted to meet people and try and get a foothold on learning. And after about two weeks after that event, somebody actually asked me if I'd be willing to, to co-host their property. And I told him I have no idea how I'd be able to do that, what that means. Also to, to take a step back here, before I host this event, I was actually asked by the management company I worked for to go flip homes in Leadville. 
which is about two hours away from Denver. Not what I wanted to learn to do. I wanted to be an STR operator and understand that. So I had to leave them. Now I had left my W-2 job. I had left this job or kind of been you know, forced out of this job with the management company. I have enough money where I'm living, but I have no idea how to move forward. This person asked me if I would be willing to coast. I said, I know a little bit about property management, but I had never, not only was this my first time co-hosting, I'd never started a business, right? I didn't know how to get an LLC set up. I didn't know how to do accounting. I didn't know anything in that space. So they had to really put their faith in me. And also I gave them a great deal. You do it at 15% in the beginning, you do what you can and, and you work, you work really hard and and they sometimes that's the best way to get in is giving them a deal and, and overperforming. Yeah, no, I think that's such a great it's a great mindset to have, right? And one of just giving without the expectation of return. Like mm-hmm. you went, you talked to the realtor, obviously you want to build a relationship with them. They they didn't have the skills that you had. And then the willingness to go to twenty different homes and just really give them a real assessment based on your experience, like how what what it can do. And I think that's a great way to one, meet people and two, just <clears throat> build up, build your network if you're starting from square one. And then 15%, it's not market, it's a little below market, but you know, what you gave up in dollars, it felt like you kind of earn intuition and trust. And I'm sure that owner is a huge advocate for you. Absolutely. As you continue to, as you continue to build your business. So I think it's a really good mindset to have to start. I think for us, when we first started arbitrage unit, I would say my father-in-law, my father-in-law was the one that like had faith in us or my future father-in-law had faith in us. We had, he had a building, buildings kind of over, overstating it, four unit place in New York. One tenant moved out and he, and we were like, can we, can we try it? And he was like, yeah, sure. They'll burn down the house. Like, no. And then we did it. And then the amount of money that we, after a few months thought we could make, it was like, wow, this is, it was really eye-opening. And then and it, that, that precipitated our journey for, and it's a, as you look back, like any other piece of advice that you can give to people as they're in that squirt, that, that first step right now, they're in a job that they may or may not love and they want to do more short-term rentals. They have a little bit of knowledge, but they really want to dive. They really want to take that next step. What can they do? Yeah, for me, it was, I went down the rabbit hole super hard. Not only was I going to all of these different homes and going to these meetup events and trying to get my own arbitrages, but I was also studying heavily. I was listening to as many podcasts as I could. I was trying to underwrite as many homes a day as I could. I was trying to build confidence around my skill set within this space and really trying to understand why do certain homes do better than the others? What does it look like when you match up a good traditional investment with STR on top and trying to figure that out? So my biggest piece of advice would be to waste your own time. And what I mean by that is that I think a lot of people get stuck in this I don't want to go call homeowners to talk about arbitrage, or I don't want to do this studying because I don't know if I'm ever going to make it in this business. I was so willing to fail. I was like, I'm going to put all my time and effort into this. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And that was the key to why it did work out. Yeah. Uh, that's a great, <laughs> great advice. Like that, that intellectual, like one, just like having that intellectual curiosity to have some faith in yourself that you can learn it and I think to your credit, seeing, being able to see the future to year in 2021, 2020, 2021, like this is going to be a big space. There's something here. I don't know exactly what the end point is, but I know that 
there is something here and I'm going to do whatever I can to position myself where if my bet is right, that if I do think STR is going to be a bigger part of real estate, a property management in the future, I position myself early enough in the sector that I'm going to be viewed as an expert in my market. So people will start coming to me. Really kudos to you for, for having that foresight. And I think for folks listening, just if you have that intellectual curiosity, if you're listening to this podcast, other podcasts, <clears throat> excuse me, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, whatever that source is, Facebook groups, all really good resources. Find someone that is maybe ahead of you, but that you can offer value to them. And it really will, I think, really pay multiples down the line. As you, and, and now look, you have, so what does your portfolio look like now, Kyle? Yeah, so we're at 52 units. We have some different deals closing as well. I own two properties and then we manage another 50. And that's all here in Denver. We have, one quadplex in, in Miami that we manage. It's a good relationship with the owner that I had, plus who doesn't want to have a property in Miami that they can go to. And then everything else is super local and we're staying that way. We're not, when I first started, we went to four different cities in Texas. We we're in Phoenix, we were in Miami, we we're all over. And we scaled way back to just being into Denver. And I think that was a huge key in what we were able to do with our quality. Now our Average rating is 4.9, and that's because we have the same team that we continue to refine and continue to make better in this area. So how, okay, that's a great point. Like just being hyper-local and compounding your knowledge to one market. Where did you see when you started with multiple markets and then and then coming, coming back full circle back to Denver? Like just maybe talk a little bit about that journey. Like what were some of the challenges that you had in operating in four or five different markets? And then was there catalyst? Was there some event that you're like, okay, like this doesn't work and I need to pivot my business to be very hyper-focused in the Denver market? Absolutely. I managed the first, I think 21 properties without hiring a VA or another employee. And being in four markets and doing it all myself, I was constantly hiring and firing and finding the new team. And that seemed like where I was spending most of my time. And it was keeping me from expanding the management company. Our Denver team was getting really good. Our other teams, frankly, weren't getting better. We were just continuing to find new people and they had the same problems. And my systems weren't as good at the time. So I was really reliant of trust in those people that were putting on the boots to the ground. And we could trust our team here, but we couldn't really trust the teams there. And that was a catalyst for two things. One, I hired my first employee and my first VA on the same day because I knew I needed to grow the team. And Two, we decided that once we get a few properties to replace them, that we're going to get rid of anything that's not in Colorado. That was a big eye-opening moment. Plus, you're not always making money on some of those homes as well. Yeah. That's just a return on, and return on hassle, return on capital, return on hassle. Exactly. How, how did you, what was your litmus test for, as you, you talked about, a good, a good employee, a good VA versus someone that, that you had to replace eventually and cycle through that? Like... For someone that is in your same situation right now, that's managing everything themselves, what can they look for that, what can they look for in a person that's going to be the right hand, their right hand man or woman that will help them grow their business? Yeah. In this business, at least the way that we do it with full service management, you're a 24, seven, 365 hospitality company. So first and foremost, that person has to be so willing. My right hand man is a guy named Alan. He it doesn't matter what is going on. He makes himself available. I couldn't have gotten to this point without him. And I think that's so key as you're growing. I'm willing to do that, right? Because it's my business. But finding that in an employee is very tough. You have to make it worth their while. So not only do we obviously pay him a good salary, 
but we try and figure out ways for him to do investments, for him to learn, and for him to be able to possibly build his own business in this space. Uh, you have such a forward-looking and giving mindset, and I think that's a credit to, and I, and I believe a big part of why you've been so successful so quickly is, and I think a lot of people have this issue where, why do I like gatekeeping information or gatekeeping relationships? The thing is, if it only exists in your head or just in, in your phone, like it actually doesn't, it actually isn't worth very much, right? Because there's only so much leverage you as one person can get from that knowledge, that relationship. But if you expand and share that information, other people are able to make money from that or, or gain some kind of value from that. Then they'll look to you and say, hey, yeah, no, like I remember like Kyle was with me there in the beginning and it may not be monetary, it may not be day one, but down the line, it's, oh yeah, I have something. Oh, we'll be a good fit. Oh, let, let me connect you with Kyle. He's a great guy. And that's how business relationships were formed. And look, Kyle and I, we, we started a business relationship. We, worked, we, we tried it for a few months and ended up like not being the best fit for both of us. And, but we're still here, right? We still have kept in contact throughout. I, I think a testament when I saw how Kyle was running his business, like this is a person that is going to do really well. And to the, to the extent that I can be part of his journey, I would love to do that. And to see how much you've grown since we, we stopped working together, I think probably like February or January, February of this year and see, I remember cause I was in Taiwan and we had a conversation and to see you now, like it, it's truly, tr truly great to see. I want to hit on something. I think a lot of folks here, I'm big on the arbitrage strategy. I've used that to, to build my portfolio. And now, look, I, I know you started with co-hosting, had a little bit of arbitrage, and then now fully property management slash co-hosting, which is you're managing properties for a fee for the owners. Can you just talk a little bit about that journey? Like why arbitrage and then why it didn't work out and how, and then now that you've pivoted to a pure co-hosting strategy? Sure. So I, when I first purchased that property, that was all my money, right? So I needed to find a way to do another investment with less capital, which brought up the idea of arbitrage. And frankly, at the time, I didn't think that people would trust me with their homes because I only had the one. I was like, why would they trust me? There's all these big companies. That's why I had jumped into arbitrage and we did it within the single family home model. I know that you're doing it more within the multifamily side. Within the single family side, to me, it brought a lot of headaches. Your owner in the multifamily side, it's advantageous for them to lease up their building and keep you in place in your lease because of their NOI. On the single family side, as soon as they see that you're making $1,000 or $2,000 more a month, sometimes that can be tough for them as an owner and they're going to cut your lease at the end, whether you are a great tenant or not. So we had that happen within the single family side. And if there's one thing about this business I hate, it's moving furniture. And I felt <laughs> moving furniture every time these arbitrage leases would end. And don't get me wrong, people have teams that crush that and do it great, but I was doing it all myself. So it felt like I had to put a pause to my business for two, three weeks. Every time a lease would end, we'd move it. And when I learned about the co-hosting, that was the side that I really liked. I love the system building. I love being behind the computer and delegating and finding good team members. But the movement of furniture is truly the reason that I got out of the arbitrage space. <laughs> now that's, I've moved a few units myself, especially in the beginning with me and Liz, my wife. And yeah, no, no, Zero desire to ever do that ever again. One thing we've done is one, sign longer leases and two, have like options, performance options mm -hmm. where they can't kick us out. We didn't do that in the beginning to our detriment, but there, so there are ways that you can structure around that. But to your point, like if an owner gets those NVIs, you're like, hey, why are you making all this money? I can do it, our, I can do it myself. Maybe they can, maybe they can't, but it's it sucks for you or for the leaseholder because you've done all this work to build something and 
you don't really make that much money in the first year. Like you get mm-hmm. your capital back, you make a little bit, you really make that money in that second and third year. That's when you really can earn a real Absolutely. return on that. Because the first few months you're setting up, you're working through some of the kinks and then hopefully you get good seasonality and you're making money and then you can just go through a low season and then you like, uh, looking forward to the next one. And then they cut your legs out and you're like, oh, this is brutal. No, I've definitely, I've definitely gone through some of that. Multifamily owners do that too. But one, one nice thing about multifamily is the owners definitely, they're not, they're not the actual person you interface with. It's usually like a property manager on the ground. And for them, they actually don't really care if you're making money or not. All they care is you're paying your rent because that's what they're judged on. So you can do whatever the heck you want as long as you adhere to the terms of your lease. They're just like, great, you're making money. This is a 3% increase and signed in renewal and I'm going to go on vacation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. As, as we got more savvy, we started putting different things in the lease that definitely made it easier. I think to be honest with you, I kudos to you because I think... Arbitrage might be the savviest of the business models when you put all the different things together and how many people you're coordinating between and how you have to coordinate those leases. So the people that do it well are definitely some of the top players in this game because of everything they got going on. You're way, way too kind. Way, way too kind. Thank you. I appreciate the compliment. I think we have six years, right? We've learned how to... We learn how to do it. And for us, we just do it in Philadelphia. Like we have one mm-hmm. market that we know, a couple of owners that we have longstanding relationships with, and we have our team on the ground. Adding more units isn't that hard, right? We know what works, what doesn't. We have our avatar and we just continue to compound that. And that's why like your story really resonated with me because that's exactly how I've looked at it. Like I can't, one, I don't want hundred units. <laughs> Two is I want to be really good at one thing because I know how compounding works. Mm-hmm. And the more that you can compound relationships, capital, the experience, you're going to make more money with less work, right? Because you're able to just to amortize all that work that you've done before versus going to a new market. You're going to set everything up again and you're starting for square one. Yeah, I know. What's your, as we wind down the conversation, what's your plan for 2024? How has, actually before we go there, there's a big meme on Airbnb bus, right? Like things are, a lot of people are losing money. They're losing their leases. They're losing their homes. Maybe just for Colorado or, or your Denver market. Are you seeing big drops in revenue? Are you seeing owners like not making their rent or their mortgage payments? What is the market health right now? Yeah. So uh, I would say that my thought on it throughout this year has been, we've seen a lot of hosts leave. A lot of those hosts, though, almost every single one of them, did a home, what I would call the home goods special, right? They find the cheapest <laughs> or the cheapest property. They find the cheapest furniture. They put it in there and they wonder why they're not making good money. The homes, I looked in my portfolio at eight or 10 different homes just last night and every single one was outperforming last year. So I do think that the hosts that are staying are actually getting more guests now. The properties that we've taken on over the last year have only been four bedroom plus unique properties. That's been a big help, right? Those properties stand out heavily. And so my sentiment has been really great. We've been doing better this year than last year. It's been, it's been awesome for us and our owners, but yeah, there's also, there's a lot more homes for sale now. So it's a holistic fear in the marketplace. It feels like. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say home goods out. I, I call it Ikea out of the box. It's funny. same term, similar terminology. And I think you hit on a, a great point. It's you got to find a property that works. Not every property works. When things were great during post-COVID and everyone wanted to travel, like everything worked just because it was a new thing and whatever you put on Airbnb, it worked. Now is absolutely not the case. You need design, good location, good operations. It's much more of a business now. So if you're a hobbyist, like maybe you're lucky and you have a great property and it just works. But generally speaking, 
if you're in that middle of that bell curve, that 20, 80%, like you 20 to 80 percentile, excuse me, you have to have something differentiated, right? The design has to be on point. Your location needs to work. There are multiple factors that work together to create a successful property. And for folks that are listening that are looking to buy a property, like just really make sure that it's somewhere that you'd want to stay, right? You can see yourself there, right? You can, what type of guests are you hosting? There's something uniquely different about it. If you're buying that same property that in an HOA that a builder is building a hundred of, right? Like how are you going to differentiate yourself? Maybe there's a fantastic view on there. Maybe it's in a great location. Whatever that is, just, just really be thoughtful about that before you make a big investment. So on to the second part of that question, what's the, what's the plan for Atomic Stays in 20 um, When I first started this company, I obviously was thrown into it a little bit, but as we got going and I tried to formulate what my two, five-year plan looks like, I knew that operations was at the base of any business model that I wanted to do within short-term rentals. So for the last two years, we've been building our operations and getting it to a place where it's running like clockwork and we have a great team. And now, not to say the world's my oyster, but I'm in a much different position. So we are absolutely looking to grow our co-hosting business, our property management business with more properties. But with the market the way that it is, with lots of homes for sale, with interest rates high, I'm looking to take advantage of creative finance as well, trying to pull in more ownership through doing sub two deals, through assuming mortgages, through trying to work with these homeowners that might be in a bad space to make a win deal. So going into 2024, we're focused on growing the management business, continuing to upgrade our operations and pulling in through more acquisition through creative finance. So for folks that are looking to invest in the Denver market, I'm going to have Kyle's Instagram link in the show notes here. So definitely reach out to Kyle. If you're in Denver, you want to invest in Denver, if you have questions on short-term rentals, I'll say I've talked to a lot of people and Kyle really is one of the top operators in nationwide. And if you're lucky enough to be in Denver and have a nice home, I think it's a conversation worth having. Before, um, as we wind down, my last question, and which I ask everyone is, business is a team sport and we wouldn't be where we are today without the folks around us. What's one of the kindest things that someone's done for you along this journey that's really helped you along? A lot of those first relationships I made, especially with Good Neighbor Realty, it's run by a pair named Chantal Duam and Peter Hugh, and they have supported me so much. I think out of our out of our 52 homes, they've probably sent me 30 clients throughout the years. But what's interesting is we do no referral fee with them. The business relationship we've built of they can trust me, I can trust them, has been so much more fruitful than any type of referral late relationship we could have ever made. So I'd give a huge shout out to them. And they've been such, so pivotal, not only in my business growth, but also in my knowledge growth throughout this time. So that's been, I'd say that's gotta be number one. Shout out to Good Neighbor Realty in, in Denver. Kyle, thank you so much for spending time with, I know you're super busy. Hopefully one day we can go watch a game together. Hopefully I see you continues its, it's, it's meteoric rise in the college football rankings. And I can, I, I can sneak out a trip to, to Colorado to go watch one of the games. But thank you again for spending time with me today. Really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with the audience. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Michael. And yeah, come on out, but wait three weeks till Travis Hunter's back. He's a lecturer. <laughs>